today we're going to continue this study that we began a few weeks ago called One Another. The reason for that is because we are in a season in our congregational life when we're asking the Lord to help us to become a more relational congregation. Now I think that if you're visiting with us today, uh, or if this is your church home, either way, you, I think, would agree with me that this is a loving congregation, that it's hard to, um, make, to be here and not have somebody uh, loving on you, greeting you, warmly welcoming you, and that's all just symptoms of a congregation devoted to uh, being relational, truly relational. But we all have a lot more to grow into, and so we're asking the Lord Jesus to help us to be a more relational congregation, a more relational church. And so we've been looking at these passages, or several of the passages in the New Testament that use this two English word phrase, one another, that is a translation from the Greek word that, uh, they, that uh, from the original um, manuscripts, that, is, uh, that Greek word is alelon, translated one another. And it's in the New Testament about a hundred times, two-thirds of which are directly uh, pointed to us as believers uh, as instructions from our God for how we can become more like Him and how His intentions for our character and the way that we live among each other can be lived out. And so we're looking at several of those and that brings us today, having talked about a new commandment, having talked about the, uh, the loving one another because we, we see that so often in the Bible, that phrase, love one another. And that word love often is the word agape. We talked a lot about that word and what it means in terms of the kind of love that God has for us that he wants us to demonstrate towards one another. And then last week we talked about serving one another and today we're going to talk about primarily confessing to one another but also praying for one another and fellowshipping, uh, fellowshipping with one another because all three of those go together as you'll see. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. That word darkness has to do with shadows and hiding and kind of uh, being off in the fog. There isn't anything foggy, shadowy, mysterious about our God. He is in the light, it says. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk or live in hiding, in darkness, in shadow, we lie and do not practice the truth. You know, I don't think there are many of us who would think of ourselves as being, uh, you know, wanting to find, scurry along the little pathways of darkness in life. None of us are really, uh, you wouldn't be here today if that was your goal in life. But think of it this way. Sometimes the biggest shadow that we live in is the one that comes from the mask that we wear. The one that we want to make sure everybody knows us by. That the one that pre uh, presents us in the best light. And some of you have figured out that carrying this mask around, the effort that goes into preparing it and keeping it uh, present is so wearying, it's almost debilitating. 
the effort that we put forward to try to defend ourselves and make sure we get what's coming to us, that no one takes advantages, uh, advantage of us, that everyone knows the... the um, knows us in the way that we want to be known, that effort is wearying, dear ones, and it's not where our God is. He says, where I am is in the light. I'm not hiding, I'm not pretending, I am. We talked about that earlier. God introduced himself to Moses saying, I am that I am. And dear ones, he's calling us to be the kind of people who live that way too. I am what I am. God is working in me and changing me and healing me and repairing me and saving me. But I don't have to be, be, uh, pretend to be something I'm not yet. And that relieves such a weight off of our lives. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light or live in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I'm going to come back and talk a little bit more. That word fellowship is from the Greek word Koinonia. It's not the Christian word for party. It's not just some sort of stained glass word that nobody uses in real life. It's a precious, powerful word. And it's part of what the Lord wants us to experience. We have fellowship with one another. It's part of being truly relational. So if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think most of us here today would be aware of the fact that when we come to faith in Christ, there is a cleansing that takes place. And sin, my sin, is washed away by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. And I want to uh, take that just a step further in case it might not be something that you, a truth you're living in, that that cleansing from God that happens on the day of your salvation is not just about sin, darkness in the past, but about your present and your future as well. Jesus said it's finished. He took sin out of the way. It no longer is between me and God. My relationship with God is no longer, your relationship with God is no longer stained by sin. But most of you would also be aware of the fact that even though that's true, there's still some work that needs to be done in me. My right standing with God, I thank Him for, and that would be a great place for us to say, Praise the Lord. With a little more enthusiasm. Yeah. But I'm also aware that as much as God has forgiven and accepted me and cleansed me, there's still some stuff that's getting worked out in me too. Right? And it says here that when I walk in the light, as he is in the light, I enjoy fellowship with you and the blood of Jesus Christ is continuing to work me over. I need that. Cleansing me. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive one another. No, that's not what it says. It says if, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Nobody else is deceived by that. I deceive myself and the truth is not in me. When I, and there's a lot of us who have been holding up that mask for so long, we've started to believe that's who we are. This perfect, does everything righteously, person, <laughs> you're deceiving yourself. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, if we get honest about who we are, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, let's pack that up. Take, us, take it with us now. A few pages back to James chapter 5. If you just go to the left, you're going to get to 2 Peter, then 1 Peter, then you're going to be at James. James chapter 5. I'm going to read one verse here, verse 16. Confess your trespasses or your sins or your, your, your iniquities. Think of it this way. Confess or, uh, or admit those times when you have veered off the course that the Lord has set for us. Trespassed from the course he set for you. Be honest about that. Confess that. There's no shame in that. No, no guilt in that. God is begging us. He's calling us to be the kind of people who walk in the light. Confess your trespasses to one another. Take the mask off. And then pray for one another that you may be healed. Dear ones, as long as we pre pretend that, it, that everything is dandy, no healing occurs. It's not till I admit I need the work of God in my life, changing me, fixing me, repairing me, delivering me, that I will begin to receive it. The effective, fervent, or the forceful and sustained prayer of a righteous man avails much, accomplishes much. So I want to talk to you today about what we see here in this passage, confess to one another, pray for one another, and what we saw in 1 John, fellowship with one another, and you'll see how they go together. In fact, you probably already have. Confess to one another. Dear ones, that's first going to mean you're going to have to stop lying to yourself. Have you noticed how hard it is to admit when you're wrong? That's our sin nature. It does not want to yield in any way to the fact that I, you know, maybe screwed up here. We work so hard to make sure there's someone else or some other thing to blame, don't we? I'm not asking you to raise your hand because you would incriminate yourself. I'm just telling the truth from my, from my perspective. We work so hard at that, but it is so contrary to what God, the way God would have us live and the way that we can live in receiving the healing that we need. We have to stop lying to ourselves. Now, the thing about lies is there's almost always a thread of truth in there. And that's what gives them potency. And so, yeah, somebody may have you know, done something to tweak you in some way and set off this reaction or this way that you have uh, conducted yourself. And so, yes, you might be able to build a case for why it's really not your fault, it's what they did. However, when you go to God with that case, can I just tell you, it ain't going to stand up. 
nearly always, I would say 100% of the time, but just to be safe, I'll dial it back a little and say nearly all the time you find yourself in a situation where things are not the way that you want, to be, want them to be or hoped they would be. It's your fault. Mine. And as long as we insist on making sure that someone else gets the blame, no healing will come. Confess to one another. I told the men yesterday morning at Man Up, I said, I've, a long time ago I decided I want to be a chronic confessor. And so do you. So do you. It's the way to live. It's so freeing. Let me tell you a story that some of you have heard before because I've been around here now so long I don't have any stories none of you have heard before. So anyway. <laughs> so I apologize for that, but it's, it's, uh, it fits this so well. Years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I've forgotten how long ago, Sue and I were living in the Santa Cruz area preparing to plant a church in San Jose. And uh, in the meantime of our moving there t for this uh, project, church planning project, the district supervisor, the Foursquare district supervisor, our, my boss, had uh, changed. It was a new man in that role, and I had never met him. And so I called to make an appointment to see him because we were going to be planting a church and we needed the uh, assistance of that office to work things out. And so I called to make the appointment. A couple of days later, his assistant called me and said, Randy, uh, his name is Robbie Booth. Some of you guys went to men's camp last year and met Robbie. He was our speaker there. But I had not yet met him. So his assistant, his assistant calls and says, Randy, Robbie wants you to know that when you meet with him in a few days, it will not be only about your church planting. Uh, okay, well, what else would it be about? And he says to me, he says, it will also be about the mismanagement of church money at your last congregation. I was, I literally staggered. I, I couldn't speak anymore. I let the phone drop. I staggered across the room until I could lean against the counter. I was in the kitchen. The breath went out of me. It was like somebody hit me with a baseball bat for my entire adult life as a a minister, a pastor, I've always made it one of my top priorities to make sure that every penny that, was, that uh, came into the churches that I had anything to do with, the gifts of people that came into the church, that every penny was stewarded well. And to think that somebody was accusing me of mismanaging church funds was like, I couldn't even believe it. And after I got my feet under me and my wits about me, the thing that started to happen what was, is what starts to happen for most of you too. I began to think through, well, this isn't my fault. Who, who is responsible for this? I didn't do this. How can I make sure that my name is cleared, that my reputation is, is made right? And I started to plan. About, I, I ran to my, my office, to my file cabinet, started pulling out the minutes of meetings where... Uh, I, I had come in the meantime to figure out what he must have been talking about, and that was this, that prior to our coming to um, Santa Cruz to prepare to plant this church in San Jose, Sue and I had pastored for a couple of years a church in the Central Valley where we had been asked to go uh, uh, by our denomination because a church that had been planted by uh, a man about four years earlier 
had fallen apart as that pastor had had a marital affair. And they asked us to go there because we had, ha we had pastoral experience and they needed somebody to help right the ship. Because when that happens, dear ones, if you've ever been through it, it's horrible. People, they don't trust leadership anymore. They're emotionally wounded. The church is suffering a big way. And so we went there to do that. And while we were there, we discovered, and you would imagine this, that a man who could allow himself to get into a, that sort of state where he's uh, betraying his marital vows might also have some other issues going on in his life. And there certainly was. And that had to do, uh, or part of that, was uh, lived out in the way that he managed the church's funds, the church's resources. And so we came into a situation where the church was in debt and in debt to the federal government. And uh, you don't play around with those boys. Uh, they've got an army and they can, they can take care of you, you know. Um, so anyway, I, so we found out quickly that we, we had to do some things and we, there was some um, obligations, financial obligations the church had, the church had that we had to take care of. Without, there was no uh, question about it. There was no alternative. We had to do something about it. And the church's general funds were depleted, but there was a, a building fund. That means that people had contributed specifically to a separate fund for the purpose of someday the church being able to buy property. There was money in that fund. So I went to our church council and I said to them, listen, how about if we go to our um, congregation, to our, to our membership, and ask them if they would approve us using those building fund monies, some of them, to resolve these obligations that we have to the federal government and so on. And they were uh, unanimous in agreement with that. We went to the membership of, again, a unanimous agreement. And the, what I didn't realize at the time was that I had, well, I had forgotten, honestly, that in a four-square church, a, a fund like that that's been established for something specific cannot be used for any other purpose, even with the, the consent of the membership. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I have read the bylaws many times of the four-square church. I don't keep them memorized. And <laughs> in that moment of desperation, I didn't, I, I, I was wrong. I didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> I wanted to go to that meeting with the district supervisor with all the minutes of the meetings and say to them, look, everything we did was above board and everybody agreed to this and it was not for any benefit to me and all of this stuff. I had it built up and the case was great until I heard the Lord say something to me. He said, Randy, what are you doing? Now, I don't know about you, but when God speaks to me, it's kind of uh, unique. It's not like when other people talk to me. He almost always will put it in the form of a question, and I know the answer. I don't want to know the answer, but I know the answer. <laughs> and so I started to say, well, what I'm doing is I'm going to justify myself. There was no answer on the other end of the line. I knew I knew what I had to do. So I went to the meeting with that, uh, that man, Robbie Booth. I stepped into his office. We'd never met before. I shook his hand. I said, Robbie, before you say another word, I just want to tell you I was wrong. I will not offer any 
excuses. I can give you an explanation if you want, if that would be helpful to you, but I was wrong. Can I tell you that the weight that came off of me in that moment, the, the lightness that came to my soul was amazing. The outcome of that meeting was none, nothing but supernatural and, and blessed in so many ways because I, I decided to not wear a mask. I decided not to put for the effort that it takes to try to put myself forward in the best light and make sure that every other person gets the blame. I, dear ones, more than we want to admit, we labor at resisting, confessing. And the Lord Jesus says to us, what are you doing? Step into the light. Step into the light. Confess to one another. Because then you can pray for one another. Let me get past these slides. So stop lying to yourself. Confront for, uh, pride, fear, and shame. Say what God says. And what that means is that the word confess that's used here means get on the same page with God. Say the same thing about it that God is saying about it. Because then we can pray for one another. And it tells us some specific things about how we pray for one another. It says that when a brother or sister comes to you with their stuff hanging out and asks you for prayer, like someone did just a few minutes ago before this service started out in the foyer when I was talking to them. When someone asks for prayer, it says, in a sense, go to the mat. Now, that's not in the Greek and all, it, but go to the mat. We have a lot of wrestlers in our church and you know what that term means. It means to dive in, go deep, work hard for one goal, victory. We so casually say, ah, oh, so often, well, I'll pray for you. And then we never do. Or if we do, it's Lord, dear God, help them. It says here, Pray with fervence. Pray effectively. It, it means pray um, forcefully and sustained. Hang in there with them to this end that they be healed. So often we settle for coping or, or management. We'll pray until they can cope with whatever's going on. Or that that's our goal. That we think, well, you'll, you'll get you know, you'll get to the place where you can manage these circumstances. No, we are called, dear ones, to pray for one another forcefully and sustained unto healing. Unto healing. Contend for, that, that, that word means wholeness. Contend for wholeness when we pray. And then we read in, in 1 John that when we live that way, when we live in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I already told you that word doesn't mean, it's not the Christian word for party. It doesn't mean that, you know, a bunch of Christians are getting, getting together to have cookies and red punch. <laughs> it means that we are going deep with each other. We're connecting with one another at a deep place. The word kinonia or koinonia 
That's translated fellowship here is a word in Greek that's used in contracts between business people. So it it's very, it has a, a power to it. A legal binding power to it. Now look, I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not in business together. But our relationships have a binding um, aspect to them. They are, our relationships are not trivial in the body of Christ. But that word is also used in wedding ceremonies to describe the kind of relationship that husbands and wives will have with each other. The kind of deep connectedness that they, that they have. And so this says, dear ones, when you walk in the light, when you pray for one another, you experience fellowship. Fellowship. The deep connection that we all long for. Listen, I tell this to um, young couples that sit with me in preparation for their wedding day as we go, you know, do some premarital counseling. I tell them all this. I say, you know, I know that you think the reason you want to get married to this person is because I have so much in common with you. That's what they always say. When I ask them, I'll say, well, why do you want to marry this person? And they'll say, oh, because we have so much in common. <laughs> and they're about to find out they have almost nothing in common, right? <laughs> I forgot what I was talking about here. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I'll tell them, you know, when, as, we're, we're, as we're talking about this together, I will, I will say, the thing that drew you to this person was not what you had or don't have in common. It's the desire to be known. Every one of us, every human being has a deep, deep, Desire to be fully known and accepted by someone. And God, of course, is the only one who can fully do that. But he has allowed us to have relationships, including marriage, where we can find that. But koinonia, fellowship in the body of Christ, is supposed to be that way. That I can be fully known. <coughs> fully known. So it's a deep connected, connectedness. In fellowship, there's no shadows. We don't have to, you know, kind of manipulate things to be seen in the best light. And all of that, the weight of all of that goes away. And then it says this curious and wonderful thing. In 1 John, we read it. We will have cleansing. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. See, we tend to want to keep the mask up because we think exact oppositely of what we've read in 1 John. We think that if I let the mask down, you won't like me. You won't want to be around me. You won't want to know me. If I'm just who I really am, you're going to hit the road. That's what we think. But in the body of Christ, it's exactly the opposite. And I'm sure you've tasted this and you've had an experience with this where when you finally let your guard down with somebody, they don't withdraw, they draw close. When we confess, when we walk in the light, we have this amazing connection with each other because we all realize all of a sudden every one of us is screwed up. <laughs> so there's no point to hide it, right? 
Because not only do we then just have this fellowship that, and it's, we already saw that it's not intended to keep us locked up in these patterns of, well, you know, so we get together and we say, yeah, I really messed up this week, but I know you did too, so we're all good. <laughs> no, that's not the thing. The thing is, look, dear, look brother, I, I, I'm not doing so well today. I'm pretty discouraged and, and uh, defeated. We don't say, well, yeah, I am too, and then we walk away. No, we say, well, let me pray for you forcefully and sustained so that you not just find a way to cope, but be healed, made whole of this. Whoa, now something is happening in the Spirit. And it makes room then for God by His Spirit to continue the cleansing process in our life that we all so desperately need. God meant for us to experience something wonderful in the company of the body of Christ. Wouldn't you say? This is recording number 11211 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, May 8, 2016. This is the fifth message in a series titled, One Another. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Confessing. 